Right, I'm going to be reading from 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. Just one verse. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this lovely opportunity. We can be here this morning, on which we call Good Friday, but also on the um, Crucifixion Friday, where we can be reminded of Jesus' death on the cross, not only for the forgiveness of sins, but also to bring us to you, Father. It's through his death that we are reconciled to you, and we can call and cry to you, Abba, Father. So, Father, we just praise you and thank you. We know we're unworthy of it. We know that we don't deserve anything good from you. It was all your grace, your mercy, your kindness, and your love for us. And that's how you demonstrated your love for us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. So help us now, Father. Help us to come with ears, to listen, and help us to, to really examine our hearts, to see what the crucifixion really means to us, to each one that is here this morning. So, Father, we just thank you now. Pray and ask us all in Jesus' name. Amen. And that's what we want to look at this morning, is the crucifixion. If you had to have a piece of paper in front of you, and I said to you, write just a paragraph, what does the crucifixion mean for you? What would you write? What does it mean for us? What does this weekend mean for us? Does it mean Good Friday, Blacker, another holiday, another day off work? Does it mean time to bring out the Easter eggs sooner than later? I know a lot of people have started eating them when they first came out. Nothing wrong with all this stuff, but, but where was your mind when you woke up this morning? Was it on, today I'm going to church? To celebrate the death of Christ or was it on yes I'm off work today another day to rest or I've got a stack of chocolates which I'm going to enjoy the whole long weekend where was your mind I know for the children your minds were probably on Easter eggs or was yours on God God? lovely lovely all right so there we have a future pastor preacher. Keep kind prayer. But where was our minds? I know as a child my mind would have been on Easter eggs. Come on. Even as an adult, our minds are probably on like a chocolate later. Hot chocolate even. Time to relax, put up the feet. So where was our minds when we woke up this morning? Was it on Jesus' crucifixion to purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? What's our mind on him? Now listen here. We all struggle with this. Even the church of Colossae struggled to keep their mind focused on Jesus Christ. Paul had to remind them. And he had to write to them and remind them. And he says, therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, Jesus, keep seeking the things above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. Why? For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. 
And there it gives us great motivation, great reason to fix our minds on Jesus. And, and the beautiful thing is if you're reading Scripture and you're in God's Word daily, you are reminded of these truths. Because the truths go to sleep in our minds if we're not reading God's Word. And yet Paul had to remind the church of Colossae that, hey, if you're in Christ, then you must set your minds on the things above where Christ is seated, not on the earthly things. And so they struggled with it, and so do we. And so hopefully, I can encourage us through this struggle to help us to, to not struggle with this. We're in the right place this morning to be in church, to be in God's Word, so that He can help us, so that He can give us the wisdom to, to, to downplay this struggle. And hopefully, once we've looked at two lovely points from 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, Hopefully we will walk away remembering to focus our minds on God and Jesus more than on the earthly things. And hopefully we will be able to answer the question, what does Jesus' crucifixion mean for us, the Christian? Hopefully we'll walk away and we'll see it maybe in a more serious light. Because once we embrace these truths, once we embrace Jesus, the person and work of Jesus, his life he lived, his death, his burial, the resurrection, the ascension. Once we start embracing these truths, it will wake something up inside us to love God more and to love our neighbor and to want to worship him with a joyful heart. And we must always be reminded that scripture is there to help us keep our eyes fixed on, on Jesus. So let's now go back to this passage and let's look at our first to help us to focus our minds on Jesus. And that is, we want to be reminded that Jesus died for our sins to bring us to God. Jesus died for our sins. It's amazing when you, when you look at Hebrews, I think it's Hebrews chapter 9, the home fellowship class or group or fellowship group will know that we've been in, in Hebrews for a while. And... Um, Sorry, it's Hebrews 9, 14. Or was it, is it 24? Let me have a look here. Yes, 24, sorry. So it's Hebrews 9, verse 24 says, um, For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. He died for us. He didn't die for his father. He didn't die for himself. He died for us to appear in the presence of God for us. So we can serve the living God. And so yeah, we're going to look at that Jesus died for our sins, for us sinner. The question is, where did sin come from? And it's always go back to the Old Testament. And we know that God created the heavens and the earth. And He created man. And He created man, Adam. And He put Adam in the garden. And He commanded Adam not to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Because Adam, if you do, you will surely live, die, get rich. You will surely die. And what did Adam do? Did he listen? I bet there's some of us saying, uh, I would have listened. No, you wouldn't have listened. Put up your hand this morning, if you love God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. 
You love your neighbor as yourself, and you keep his commandments. None of us can do that. Thank you, Nadia. You're welcome to take over. And I, can, I can live. Now someone's going to say, Oh, Mark, are you in favor of women to preach? No, I'm not. But then I don't need to be here. No one needs to be here. But no one, not even Nadia, can put up her hand. Because through one man, Adam, as soon as Adam took that fruit from his wife Eve, how did that happen? Well, the serpent came along. The serpent is a fallen angel. It's, it's, it's Satan, the devil. He came along. And guess what? It's a good angel that fell. And now he's a bad angel. Satan, the devil. He knows scripture. And what does he bring? He brings scripture. We're not going to go to that passage, but read Genesis chapter 3. And you see how Satan twisted scripture, how he brought scripture to Eve and he twisted scripture together to doubt God and his word. That's exactly what happens to us today in this life. Satan prowls around like an angel of light and he, and he, and he comes with scripture but it's twisted to doubt, for us to doubt God and his word, to fall into temptation. And that's what happened to Eve. She ate of the fruit and then she gave some to Adam. And he ate of the fruit, and so through his eating of the fruit, sin and death entered into the world. Scripture backs it up. Paul backs it up. Through one man, Adam's sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sin. And sin is a serious problem. Why is sin a serious problem? Because the wage of sin is death. What happened to Adam and Eve after they ate of the apple? Well, not the apple, the fruit. What did they do? They died eventually. They died. And, and what else happened when, when, when Adam ate of the fruit? Well, we know things started decaying. Corruption, fraud. Just think, when you eat your chocolates and you're chewing them, and maybe two weeks later you've got to go to the dentist because something happened to your teeth, they start decaying because of all that sugar. Remember. The same thing happened to Adam when he took a bite of that fruit. Decay came into this world. Sin came into this world. And the sad thing is when we born into this world as, as people, as human beings, as man and woman, when we born into this world as man and woman, male and female, we are born separated from God. We are born sin sinners, rebellious. And by nature, we're spiritually dead. We're hopelessly dead in our sins. We're separated from God, and there's nothing we can do within ourselves to make ourselves clean. No one can make themselves clean. Proverbs backs it up. Who can say, I've made my heart pure? I'm clean from my sin. Who can say that? No one. And Paul writes to the church of Rome, no one, there is none, righteous, not even one. All have turned aside, together they have become useless. There is none who does good, there is not even one. We're doomed. There's no hope for us. It's like you're on a ship. And you become shipwrecked out there in this sea, and you're alone. You're doomed. Unless someone comes along and helps you, rescues you. And we're doomed. Until someone comes and helps us, and rescues us. Otherwise, there's no hope for us. Because God's Word says, 
we are here to die once and after that to face judgment. And of course the wage of sin is death. We are destined to die. But we have someone who comes to rescue us. His name is Jesus. He lived a sinless life. But before that we know from Scripture, when the fullness of time came, God sent forth His Son. God sent forth His Son, Jesus, born of a woman, to rescue us. Jesus lived a sinless life. He was betrayed by his friend Judas. He died on the cross, buried in a tomb, and rose on the third day, according to the Scriptures, to conquer death. Jesus was who? The Son of God. He, was the, he came down to live amongst us. The sinless Jesus was sent by his Father to be the Savior of the world and to rescue us from wrath to come, condemnation, death. He was the one that paid the price of our sin, our moral guilt. Because sin had to be punished. Sin separated us from God, from, from, from His covenant, from His promises. We were born sinners, we were born alienated to God. Nothing could bring us to God, not even our good works, nothing, nothing. And Jesus paid that penalty. He took the sin upon Himself. And by his death on the cross, he nailed our sins to the cross. Did he deserve it? No. Why? Because he's the Son of God. He's the righteous man. We deserve death. We deserve to die on the cross. But he died in our place to earn our salvation. And at the cross, there you see the mercy of God. The mercy of the cross is seen in the in that Jesus accepted the payment by substitute, substitution, substitutionary atonement. He atoned for our sins. He paid the price. He redeemed us. He justified us. We can't go into all these terms, but it's good homework for you to go away and look up those terms. Redemption, justification, regeneration, and see what they truly mean. God is both the just and the justifier of the ungodly. And it was Jesus that came and died for our sins. Does his death on the cross mean something more to us now? If we still struggle with that, well, let's go to our second thing that can help us. And our second point to help us to focus our minds more on Jesus is that Jesus is the righteous man who died for our sinners to bring us to God. According to verse 18 of 1 Peter chapter 3, I'll read it again. For Christ also suffered once for sins. Okay, we know about that. He died for our sins. Why? We know why he died for our sins. And then we hear the righteous for the unrighteous that he might bring us to God. Being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. God had to save us through a righteous man, a perfect man. If it wasn't for Jesus, no one would be here. We'd all be doing our own thing. We'd all be living rebellious lives still. We'd all be presenting our members of our bodies as sin, as instruments of unrighteousness. We would be doomed. 
And even if you thought there was a God out there, you can't get to this God. You can't get to know this God. Because Scripture warns us. Scripture says, Romans chapter 8, verses 7 to 8, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. The mind that is set on the earthly things, on the flesh, the sinful things, is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. No man can find God. No man can save himself. It just says there, in that verse, for it does not, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Those who are in the flesh, in the sinful nature, cannot please God. No matter what good we did, it was filthy rags. No one can earn salvation. No one can merit salvation. We can do nothing to save ourselves. That word in, in verse 7 of Romans chapter 8, cannot, is where theologians get the word total inability. We are unable to save ourselves. We are unable to do anything. We cannot. We don't have the resources. We are helpless to do anything to save ourselves. And this condition is called total inability. We don't have the ability. We are unable to save ourselves. But apart from God's grace, we cannot do anything good. We need God's grace. We need His grace. And this is what He does. Grace appears to us. Titus talks about that in, in Titus chapter, um, chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. And who's the grace of God? Who came and displayed the grace of God? It was Jesus, full of grace and truth. He came. And he came not only full of grace, but he came full of righteousness. He was a righteous man, a perfect man. And he came as the man to rescue us, to bring us back to God. Jesus Christ is the sinless, righteous man. And it's amazing, while we were unrighteous, he died for us to bring us to God. He willingly and voluntarily comes into the world as the Son of God. we just got to go back to Philippians chapter 2. And we can read some verses from, from, from there. Um, verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, through, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in the human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. See, he emptied himself. I don't know if this illustration will work, but it's like if a CEO owns this mega rich business and one day he decides he's going to come down and he's going to work like everybody else works. He's not going to lord it over anybody. He's going to treat everybody equal. He's not going to have the power to, to manipulate people. He's just going to be a servant amongst the staff. 
and work like they work, earn the same salaries they earn, even though he's the CEO. And he gives up that. And he knows he has power, power to abuse. Jesus had power, not to abuse, but power to write things without dying on the cross. But we know he had to die on the cross. He had to be that sacrifice, that righteous sacrifice. He had to shed pure blood. Righteous blood. And he comes. And he comes as a man. He comes to, to this messy, messed up world that we messed up. Even though we weren't back there, but we still mess up this world. And he comes and he's found in appearance as a man. He commits no sin. There was no deceit found in his mouth. He walked on earth as a righteous, suffering bondservant. He came not to live a self-righteous life for himself, but a righteous life for the glory of his Father. He humbled himself and did nothing from selfish ambition. It was always, he always looked out for the interest of others, feeding them, healing them, talking to them, fellowshipping with them, correcting them, rebuking them, all done in love. And when Judas came to betray him, he even showed affection towards Judas. He kissed him. He showed love. Yeah, he's Jesus, a sinless, righteous man. And through his own obedience, he lives an obedient life for us, the unrighteous, to be made righteous. When God looks at me, He sees me clothed in Jesus' righteousness. It allows me to come into the presence of God. I'm, in, I'm clothed in Jesus' righteousness. His righteousness has been imputed to me when He shed His blood on the, on the cross, when I believed all that. His sins, His, His blood has cleansed me, washed me clean. And my unrighteousness is imputed to him. My sins are imputed to him when he nailed them to the cross. God in his rich mercy and great love demonstrated his own love towards us that while we were yet sinners, and Willem read this message, this, this verse this morning, the righteous Christ died for the unrighteous sinner to bring us to God. Isn't that amazing? And when we come to 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 21, Lord willing, next Sunday, we're going to start looking at this love that as a church we need to embrace as well. And the only way we can embrace God's love is when we come back to looking at the cross, looking at Jesus, this person, the Son of God, who came in the flesh as, as God. But when we hear and we listen to this, I'll read that verse again. God in His rich mercy and great love demonstrated His own love towards us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus, Jesus shows us how to love and how to love our neighbor. Because when He came, it's a beautiful picture of Jesus fulfilling the great commandment. He came loving His Father with all, the, all His heart, mind, soul and strength. And then in return, he loved his neighbor. First the Jew, then the Gentile. And he came. As they were unrighteous, they were enemies of God, strangers, caught up in sin. The righteous Jesus came to be their neighbor, our neighbor. Love us as an enemy. Die for our sins to bring us to his Father. He shared with unrighteous sinners his love, God's love, to reconcile us. To his father. 
When last have we got down in our prayer line and thanked God for our salvation? What would you do if you were drowning out at sea and someone came and rescued you? What is the first words that are going to come from your mouth? Go away, I don't need your help. What are you going to say when that guy rescues you or that woman or someone rescues you? You're going to thank them. You're going to just embrace them and you're going to thank them and you're going to just, you're going to be so overwhelmed with tears and, and thankfulness and, and you're never going to stop thank, thanking them. You'll probably thank them as many times as you, you will lose count of. You'll thank them until they leave your sight and in time you will still thank them by sending them a card or giving them a call because they did something great. They saved you from death. Why don't we do the same for Jesus? Why don't we wake up in the morning just to start off with thanking God for our salvation? Thanking Him for rescuing us from the wrath to come. Thanking Him for giving us eternal life through His um, shed blood on the cross. I did nothing. He did it all for us to earn our salvation. All I do is bring belief. I believe. That he died on the cross according to the scriptures. And he was buried on the cross, in the tomb according to the scriptures. And on the third day he rose again according to the scriptures. I believe in my heart that he is Lord. And that he rose again according to the scriptures. And you shall be saved. We just bring belief. We bring faith. Which the Holy Spirit wakens us up to. So we can believe and we should be so grateful and so thankful for this Jesus, our Lord and Saviour, that has rescued us. And He comes, as Paul writes, the Apostle Paul wrote of Jesus Christ as such a man, the wretched, unrighteous sinner that I am, Paul says, Who will set me free from the body of this death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. If it wasn't for Jesus, our Lord and Saviour, we're all doomed sitting here. We're all going to hell. Unless you convert to Judaism, if there was no cross. The beautiful thing is God has made us alive together with Christ Jesus. This means that we have been justified by faith in Christ Jesus. This means we now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This means there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Jesus, the righteous man, dying for us sinners, the unrighteous man or woman, to bring us to God. What does his death mean for us now? Until we embrace the cross for its real meaning, which is about a person, Jesus, about the person and work of Jesus, I don't think we will embrace Christianity in its fullest sense, truthfully, sincerely, genuinely and lovingly. And I'm talking to myself as well. But hopefully looking at these two things, these two points, Jesus died for our sins and Jesus the righteous man died for us, the unrighteous man. Hopefully this will help us to, to refocus our minds more on Jesus and, and appreciate what his death means for us. Appreciate his death. Because on the cross, Jesus himself bore our sins in, in his body. 
And on the tree he bore, our, bore he bore our sins in his body. On the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. By Jesus' wounds on the cross he shed blood. We are saved. He suffered for us. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Wow, what a privilege it is to be a Christian, that we can now serve the living, true God, the Almighty Creator God. All because of one man who died on the cross to forgive our sins, to bring us to God. Hopefully, walking out this building, this morning, we'll have a more serious attitude, more serious look at what Jesus' death means to us on the cross, what the crucifixion really means to us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today, Good Friday, which we've set aside to, to remember the crucifixion. Remember that there was such a man, a real man, Jesus, who was truly man and truly God, who came as a sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice, to atone for our sins, to redeem us, to justify us, to regenerate us, so that we can be called children of God. Father, we just thank you. Thank you that he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. He took everything in his body and nailed it to the tree, our sins so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Father, help us to embrace this truth, that by his wounds we've been healed, we are saved, all because of the crucifixion. Father, help us. Help us to go away this morning and to reflect on what I've said. Please forgive us. Help us to confess our sin if we do not take this seriously. Help us to embrace these truths. Help me as well, Father. Help us all. To turn away from the earthly things and embrace the heavenly things that are permanent, that, are, that, are, that, are, that have substance, that will not be shaken when Jesus returns to judge the world. They're unshakable, the promises of your word. So Father, help us to work on our struggle in focusing on Jesus every day. Help us, Father. Pray and ask, pray and ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.